there is a scene, spoiler alert, okay, it's been over 20 years or close to 20 years, so I apologize if you've never seen this, but you've had time, okay, or you just don't care, we'll just keep going. There is a scene in the last movie of The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, where we see the delusional steward of Gondor, who seems dead set on crashing Gondor in the midst of the attacks coming upon them from Mordor. He's a depressing figure. He's, he's a man clearly given over to cynicism. In the film, he's portrayed as cynical, cowardly, incompetent, and weak. He dramatizes the temptation to evil that power brings. Now, before we're too hard on that character, let's take a look at ourselves and how, over time, life can beat people down and cynicism begin to really take deep root. Are you cynical? The term implies having a sneering disbelief in sincerity or integrity. Have you ever seen someone's face that you can tell is cynical? Maybe you've seen it in the mirror. As you get to another story, you can see why they have gotten to that point. Often a parent has deeply wounded them or severely let them down multiple times. Family member situation, a work situation that continues to beat them down. Oh, cynicism can come up in us quickly after we have experienced ongoing discouragement and we don't trust people anymore. There's a lot to be cynical about, isn't there, today? In fact, cynicism, it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't take effort to be cynical. It takes effort not to be cynical. It's really easy to be cynical. Our politics, just even mentioned that word, some of you just about, you know, fell over in the pew. Don't go there, Pastor Garrett, I'm not. Over finances, how about institutions that we're like, wow. I've seen people do that in our own de uh, denominational affiliation. Perhaps some of you today are cynical about God. Perhaps there are Christians in the room cynical about evangelism. Why bother? It's not working. Maybe you're cynical about the local church. We inwardly scoff at young people or politicians who say, I would like to create world peace, solve world hunger, and liberate all the caged parakeets in the entire world. I haven't heard anybody say that last one. Just wanted to see if you were listening. There's something deeply, though, and uniquely human in those statements when we hear them from, you know, young people who get platforms or politicians. The cynical side of us is like, you're not old enough. You'll get beat down. You haven't been punched in the stomach yet. It's coming. 
And after you get up, they're gonna get you're gonna get punched again, and again and again, and then come back and tell me that mess. You, you can see that rise up in our natural cynical nature. But nevertheless, woven deep down inside all of us is a desire for something more, a craving to be a part of something you know better, greater, more profound than our relatively meaningless day-to-day existence. Perhaps that's why many get hooked on politics, hooked on sports, hooked on games and movies and entertainment, a myriad of causes that give us something to fight for. Why are people so passionate about things? Boy, they're kind of fanatical, we'll say. They're fanatical. There's often something deeper behind all of that desire for to be a part of something greater. I mean, isn't it true we weren't, we, we simply weren't constructed to live for ourselves? We want to be a part of something larger, something greater. I think deep down we all know we were placed on earth to be part of something bigger than our the narrow borders of our own survival and our own little definition of happiness. The desire resides in each of us. It's what, it's what we call transcendence. To be a part of something greater. We were created, beloved, to be part of something so big, so glorious, so far beyond the ordinary that it would totally change the way we approach every ordinary thing in our lives if we have ears to hear. And that's exactly what the prophet Isaiah wrote to tell his original audience and all who would read his book. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah 35. It's on page 630, 631 in the Bible that's provided for you there in the pew. Prophets like Isaiah were messengers of the covenant of God, calling the people back to faith, the faith of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of Moses. And God gave Isaiah divine revelation, putting all of Israel's experience of defeat and exile and return into one encompassing theological treatment. As you know, years ago we went through Isaiah, it's the Romans of the Old Testament. It's a book worth mastering because of so much it helps you, opens up the rest of the Bible for you. The original audience was the southern kingdom of Judah before it was carried off to Babylon. And he sets before them life or death. Maybe you think of that phrase, I set before you life or death. There was another prophet who said that. His name was Moses. Right on the edge of the promised land, he told the people he knew he wasn't going in, but he set before them life and death, and that's exactly what Isaiah does. He does it through this book. He really does it the exact same way in chapter 34 and 35. 34 is the death he sets before them. 35 is where we're going to be, is the life he offers them. His message is timeless and completely in sync with Moses because it was God's message to the people and to all who would read his word. 
It applies to everyone because all sin, all live in a, in a land that reflects sin and death and needs a Savior from the justice and wrath of God. So our context is in the first half of the book, primarily about judgment, salvation mingled in. The second half is primarily about salvation. So Isaiah 35 follows the judgment of 34. Two chapters are like two different towers in the book. 34 is the chapter on judgment for those who are opposed to God. 35 is for those who would turn to God for life. So if you're not interested in life, if you're interested in dying in your sin and going to hell, this chapter is not for you. If you want this world, then chapter 34 is your chapter. Chapter 35, though, is for those who know they are dead in their sins and transgressions and that God is their only hope and that they can trust him at his word, that they can have life eternal. So those who have ears to hear this morning, let them hear. Isaiah 35, hear now God's holy word. The wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice and blossom like a wildflower. It will blossom abundantly. And will also rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord. The splendor of our God. Strengthen the weak hands. Steady the shaky knees. Say to the cowardly, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming. He will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf Unstopped, lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. For water will gush in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The parched ground will become a pool, and the thirsty land springs. In the haunt of jackals in their layers, there will be grass, reeds, and papyrus. A road will be there, and a way will be called the holy way. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for those who walk the path. Fools will not wander on it. There will be no lion there. No vicious beast will go upon it. They will be not found there. But the redeemed will walk on it. And the ransom of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing, crowned with unending joy. Joy and gladness will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee. This is God's word. The end result of those who refuse to let go of their sin and live for themselves is hell and judgment, according to 34. But for those who put their trust in God, there is redemption, restoration, forever enjoying the glory, of, the glory and presence of God. Isaiah said to his audience that they should expect God's coming with the fullness of salvation. Who can make such promises as these? Who can do this? No politician can promise these things. Only God can give out, give out such promises, and only God can cash this check. This passage is loaded with specific encouragement for people who are feeling the burden of this current age. This current age isn't all there is, thank God. There is more and better to come for those who receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. God has a word of hope to all who trust in him, Isaiah says. 
Here's the central point. God promises total redemption. God promises total redemption. Let us trust in and live out his word. Let us trust in and live out his word. Number one, point number one, expect to see the glory of the Lord. Expect to see the glory of the Lord. Verses one and two. Summertime is a good time to preach on a passage like this when things are a little drier. Maybe we've had, we had, I think I was told we had a little bit of rain later in the week. But some of your grasses like mine, it just got a little bit more toasted this week. No, uh, yeah, it just not looking so good. I have a lot of clay in my yard. Anybody else have that problem? Uh, it seems to be just built to thrive for, for crabgrass. I hate crabgrass. I hate it. Um, I really hate crabgrass. But uh, dryness is a good time to uh, preach on this passage. You know, we were up in, uh, in an elevated spot there in New Hampshire, and I, they said bring a hoodie. It gets cool at night. It never cooled off. It was hot. Uh, I drank water the whole time. I just could not get hydrated enough. Uh, dryness is, uh, is one thing physically, but it's another thing, though, think with me, spiritually. You ever been dry spiritually? So beat down, bitter, cynical, depressed over multiple layers of sad realities. Just the thought of being encouraged spiritually could maybe bring some of you to tears this morning. And so I'm asking you, can you hear God's invitation to those who are thirsty? Look at the text. Sin brings desolation and curse. God brings life where there is no life. Our rebellion against God, doing what we want and the ignoring and despising of our creator is why our world is the way it is. It's why it's so empty and dry spiritually. It's why their, their face looks so dead. The remote hint, sometimes you'll talk about the things of God. Who can overcome sin and death? Who can overcome cynicism and the dryness of soul? God can. God can do it. Is your soul lifeless and dead today in sins and transgressions? As you live opposed to God, is it bringing more life to you? Has it lessened your anxiety and lessened your cynicism? The Bible says so. If you don't know Jesus as your king, you are soulless. Your soul is lifeless. It's dead. You are your God and king right now and you are unresponsive to God naturally you don't have to keep going that way that way leads to eternal judgment but Isaiah in 35 has come to tell us about a way to life there's another way there's the way of God it doesn't take special glasses to see how poor and needy our world is we don't need Tony Stark's glasses for special intelligence to read things we don't need special glasses to that some other character might put on that gives them special insight. It's right here in front of us. Just look at our world. Look at how families are busted up and how children are neglected. Look at how pagan we've become in our understanding of life, how, how people would prefer the metaverse to reality and how we're raising and discipling young people to live in that because our life in this world is so sad. Look at how we are discipled by celebrities through our devices every day and look at how shallow our lives can be and self-centered 
You don't need special glasses for that. That's right in front of us. In all of sin's blindness and brokenness and rebellion, the desire to transcend has now been crushed. People who live long enough could describe their life as a desert when it comes to the things of God. Beyond the original audience's experience, this passage is an illustration about longing to be forever with the Lord. And Isaiah helps illustrate it. It's simple here. The crushed and an uninhabitable desert land is now rejoicing and blossoming for the people. The picture here is of tired, weary sojourners in the desert looking for the promised land. And the Hebrew pronoun them is not translated here in some of our translations because of how we say things in English. It reads like this, the land is now glad of them, supportive, supportive of them. The pattern is similar to the Garden of Eden in Genesis. Adam and Eve were in the original promised land, and because of their sin, the land became antagonistic to them. Imagine a world where you are not frustrated by it any, in it anymore. The weather and the people are supportive to what is healthy and good. Well, you're no longer follically challenged. Well, your back and knees cooperate. Most of us are so used to our bodies not cooperating or our cars not cooperating or our houses, don't get me started, or our families, oh my goodness, or the traffic, oh, don't, don't go there, Pastor Garrett. We're so used to it. Or something else not working. But friends, this is not the future of God's people when, we, when he comes again to make all things new. Some of you need to, need to think on that today. You're so caught up in what's in front of you, you're not looking with the eyes of faith that God gives. That's all God's people have always had. You think Abraham got it all at the beginning? He didn't. Neither did Moses. What makes you and I any different, any more special? Romans 8 makes it plain that creation is groaning under the curse of sin every single moment, locked in bondage to decay. Take a good look around you. Everyone in this room is decaying, knowing it or not. Friends, there is beauty on earth, that's for sure. But there is overwhelming death, decay, frustration, fatigue, physically and spiritually. It's not just the earth, but humanity has fallen, broken, and is in need of a makeover too. Beloved, the earth is groaning because it's under condemnation, because of sin, rebellion against God. Whenever you sense the desert-like symptoms of this life, you remember God's word. Sin is in the world, and death accompanies sin. My son multiple, multiple times corrected me on the journey back and forth to New Hampshire. He's a, he's a better man than I. He said, well, Dad, it is the fallen world. This is what the Lord gave us. We need to go with what he gave us. And then I put him in the back seat. He's right. Sometimes they sling the word back at us, don't they? Praise the Lord, they do. We should stop having expectations of a fallen world we should not have. You put your expectations on God. When you catch yourself grumbling, anxious, and angered, go back to the truth. We live in a fallen world that makes, makes one promise. You and I will all die. You say, that's not very uplifting. Well, that's the truth. 
God is serious about sin, and he told us so in Genesis. And what he said came true. The world needs a makeover, and God, though, promises to make all things new. That's the good news through the pages of Scripture, and he tells us how through his Son, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 1. It says, like a wildflower, so the earth will be like spring. Don't you love springtime? I love springtime after a cold, wet, dark, daylight savings winter. Amen? Amen? Why would we fall? Why do they have to change it back in the fall? Just leave, it, leave the time alone. Just leave it alone. All right, back to it. More than that, I look forward to the day when God will make all things new. Friends, are you tired of sickness and traffic and broken bodies and soils that won't produce and bad weather and all of that? Are you tired of bad attitudes, including your own? God says he's going to reverse it for his people. He's going to evict the curse that may, and make all things new. This transformation, though, as we know from Isaiah, will come through Messiah. I was reading Malcolm X's fascinating autobiography, and it is fascinating, and I noticed that his view of Christian theology was clearly off in a number of places, and one of them was the view of death. He saw that Christians only believed in spiritual redemption. The Christians he had encountered must have held to a false or deficient view uh, because God, according to his word, cares about the physical too, friends. That's also plain from God's word. So I'm not sure what Christians he had encountered, but he vented about that view. And uh, I wanted to be able to say, whoa, uh, that's not what we really believe, not, not those who hold to the scripture. You see, God made everything, and he said it was good. God cares about the physical order of things, friends. He didn't just come to redeem the soul, but the body too. He judged it. And the, the, the world, though, friends, the creation has been judged. It's under a curse when Adam fell. But he proved that he would restore it. And his people, when Jesus was raised from the dead, ascended back to the right hand of the majesty on high, Jesus is risen and he's coming again. That's what all that's about. Of course he cares about the spiritual and the physical. He cares about his creation. He promises not to save us spiritually only, but physically too. God says one day the earth's going to be fully cooperative and remade for his people, his redeemed, his elect. One day it will be like spring in every location. Amen. Hallelujah. Verse 2, it reveals the sudden nature of this transformation. The terms blossom abundantly carries that idea. It will be a sudden joy for God's redeemed people. One day, the Lord will burst on to the scene. This is the day and the hour that no man knows, Jesus said. No one knows when the Son of Man, Christ, will appear. But for those who have turned from sin and trusted in his mercy for salvation, it will be springtime. It will only be springtime. For those who repent and trust in Christ, it will not be springtime for those who don't know Christ, who rather have this world, who rather have their sin, who rather focus on, well, what's present. Scholars note that the terms Lebanon, Carmel, and Sharon all have illustrative meanings here of abundant blossoming of beauty. So God says one day it's going to be like God took the best locations and made them into one. Hallelujah. The best part of verse 2 is the, is the new land will be filled. The best part, the best part, in case you didn't hear me, the best part will be, the, will be this. Verse 2, it will be filled with the glory and splendor of God. The glory of heaven is God. 
We get to be near God. We get to be with God and with enjoying his presence forever. And we can't exhaust that glory. You know, it would just be moment after moment, unending glory and joy. Only God could make us wonder for all of eternity. You know, I don't know what your best life experience is so far, but it ain't nothing like this. The glory of God will be enjoyed by God's people who have been raised with new bodies, untainted by sin, and glorified to enjoy the Lord forever. That's the chief end of mankind, to, enjoy, to love God and enjoy Him forever. So what used to be confined in a small way in the, in the tabernacle temple, the whole earth will be filled with the kabod, the glory of God. Can you even imagine, if I could put it how the young people put it, can you even imagine? I can't even. I just can't even. But with eyes of faith and looking at his word, I can see that it's true. Think with me. God is so awesome and glorious and holy. The sight of him would, would kill us in our sinful, rebellious, and fallen condition. But one day, God's people shall see him. They will be fitted for glory to see him, dwell with him in all of his glory. That's what we read about in 1 Corinthians 15 this morning. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. This body's perishable. It's, it's like putting fresh produce out on, on, a, on a dock in the heat. It's, it's just going gonna, gonna to fade. One day it will, it will have a shelf life for all eternity. I won't be able to perish. I won't be corruptible will be fitted for glory. So we should expect to see glory. God promises total redemption. Let us trust in and live out his word. Number two, get strength from the Lord. That's verses three through seven. Get strength from the Lord. Look at the text. A series of commands are given and they interrupt the discussion of the time when God will appear. They, they draw attention to the need for the redeemed to encourage and strengthen those who are weak. Um, how do you know if someone needs encouragement, as Truett Cathy said, if they're breathing? Are you breathing? You need encouragement. You will. Verse 4 commands God's people to say to the cowardly, that means hasty of heart, anxious, disturbed, they are fearful. All of us have been there, or maybe you are there today. They have hands that are weak, that sink drop down in their knees that stumble, stagger, or shake. I was watching an old clip of the 1984 finals, uh, Boston, L.A., and those of you who remember those games, how intense they were across the country, there wasn't a lot of cable television across the United States. There was some. There wasn't any Internet. When those games came on, everybody, a large portion of the, of the country, were watching those games, and uh, it came down to one of those really crucial points of the game, and Kevin McHale came to the line. And Kevin McHale, who was, had a really high percentage at the free throw line, you could see, his, if you watch it, they showed it. They zoomed, this is cruel. They zoomed in on his young knees there, and they were trembling as he was trying to get that last shot off at the, uh, at the, at, at the free throw line. And they've never let him live it down. Now, fortunately for them, the guy stole the ball and got, got the points that he missed, and they won that particular playoff game. But Kevin McHale, who's always been a clutch player, that early in his career showed some shaking in his knees. I would, too, if I was under that pressure. You, maybe you wouldn't. 
But these people have weak hands and shaky knees. They are fatigued and weary spiritually. They're facing some physical or emotional problem that they are not able to cope with. They need strengthening. And that's the exact reason for this fearful and discouraged state. It's not, it's, it's not really explained. Some assume it's the condition of the, the exiles returning back from Babylon. However, everything in this text points to an end-time eschatological setting when, when God will save his people for, uh, from their enemies and establish justice, not just in a temporary kingdom, but on the earth forever. Friends, do you ever get run down in your heart? I see it in a lot of our church members. I can see it. I get it that way. If you live long enough, you, you know about these bouts. Sometimes it's ongoing physical illness. Some of you deal with just every day, just wake up in lots of pain. Sometimes it's uh, ongoing depression, family issues that just will not resolve, work problems that have continued to nag, other disappointments, and your soul gets dry, and your knees spiritually get weak, and your hands get shaky, and you're discouraged. Well, look at the text. There's new strength will come from hearing the encouraging word of God's message of salvation. And note how the redeemed are to assure the weak and anxious that there's no need to fear. And second, they will assure them that God will save them. They need to hear God's word again and again. And the promise of all things being made new, the dwelling of God with his people forever, is intended to give strength and endurance to the pilgrims on their journey home. Sometimes that's the best thing we can do each other. Hey, brother, stay with it. We're almost to Zion. Sister, hang in there. Jesus is coming back. We are with you. We are limping to heaven together. We're all like Jacob, limping our way. You say, Pastor Garrett, sign me up for encouragement. Sign me up for this kind of assurance. But you got to be saved. you got to be redeemed. You must be among the, the ransomed. And God has to do this for you. It can be yours today if you bow before him. And seek his forgiveness and mercy uh, today and turn to Jesus Christ as your only hope in righteousness. Believers, let me say that as a Christian, under the worst circumstances, we can actually have joy right now. Joy in the Lord. Earthly joy is one thing, but joy in the Lord can be present in our lives right now because God planted a, a perpetual spring of life in us through Jesus Christ, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We are to live, and we can live a holy life of godliness by the grace given to us of the person of the Holy Spirit. That's how these things are possible. That's how the weak are strengthened. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, you, for you were bought at a price, so glorify God with your body. One day there, there will be no struggle against the flesh. Amen. There will only be fullness all around us. But as far as, as for now, we do have help in God if we know Jesus Christ. You know, I, I wish I had some practical things to tell you that would strengthen your hands and knees today, spiritually speaking. I know of no better thing to tell you than to look to Jesus. Go to Christ, who was poor and needy for our sake, who was trembling and falling in Gethsemane, who went to Calvary's cross for you and me to bear our sin debt and guilt, though he was innocent and he, was, uh, he died for our sins and was raised on the third day. Go to Jesus. That's where life is given. 
Friends, we're to be, to be this kind of people as a church, displaying his glory, rejoicing in the desert is who we're to be. Are we not to be the ones who make people thirsty around us? And you can only have this by renewing your mind with God's word. You know, church members think, they, uh, uh, they think they can fool people by not putting, by, you know, by, you know, putting on niceness while never being those who read their Bibles. It doesn't fool people over time. I'll tell you how. You can tell who is in the word and who's not. Tell me you can't. How can we not? The word is so awesome. The word is so powerful. It pours out of you. It seeps out of us when we are drinking from it. You can tell if somebody's in the word. You can't, he, you can't keep it inside of you. It comes out. Are you in God's word? Are you thinking you're fooling somebody by not being in God's word? You're not. And you're definitely not fooling the Lord. When you're filling up on God's word, it, 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 you can't help yourself. You cannot help yourself. And see, people see this in you. Ask God to make this evident in your life. Are you a refreshing Christian in a desert world, giving signs that you're on your way to eternal springtime? When people are at work with you, are they encouraged by the new life in you, or are you further dried out? They further dried out by your grumbling and worldly spirit. In your hospitality, is your home a place a person's soul feels refreshed or dry? A foretaste of what of what uh, what is. Uh, ours in Christ or does it feel like a desert where sin goes unrepented of and the flesh is constantly fed in your home what about in church are you refreshing or are you discouraging in your, in your ways with people do you ever ask yourself does my soul, does my face, do my interactions do my words reflect the new order in, right, in life I have in Christ is Jesus your heart and soul Jesus, friends, is the sweetest name I know when I focus on him by the Spirit. I get refreshed, and it points to a refreshing that will co that's coming that will never end. Pastor Garrett, are you saying encouragement comes from hearing God's word and reading God's word? Yes. God says so through Isaiah. What happens to folks with encouragement? Let me ask this question. What happens to folks without it? All kinds of bad things because people are not self-sufficient. There's only one who's self-sufficient. It's God himself. People get worn down. They become jaded and bitter, disappointed. They get weak, begin to live in, give into things that one time they would not have given into. But God promises to the faithful here in Judah about the hope of victory. And you can't help but to see this text is, is giving way to a greater and fuller meaning read, fulfilled only in Jesus Christ. Because it's only in Jesus we find our strength. He is our salvation. He gives us his Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit helps us to follow Christ. To think on Christ. Consider him who endured hostility from sinners against himself. So that you won't grow weary and give up, Hebrews says. Strengthen your tired hands, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12. And weaken knees and make straight paths for your feet. So that what is lame may not be dislocated, but healed instead. Come to Christ. 
to strengthen our arms and hands and knees is to deal with our discouragement by going to God and getting help from him. You know what, Isaiah, if I could boil it down, how to get strengthened is this. You ready for it? Dwell on the promises of God in Christ Jesus. Dwell on them again and again and again. What did you think we sang in the sweet by and by, and there's a happy land? We need to dwell on that, friends. It's not because I like a, like a hokey tune or something, which I like both those tunes anyway. They do sing well. No, the, the, the theology in those songs reflect God's word and dwelling on the promises of God. I, I just want to point to you specifically and, and say that to you. Mark, you need to dwell on the promises of God. Paul, you need to dwell on the promises of God. Terry, dwell on the promises of God in Christ. Barb, get your eyes on Jesus. Dwell on what we have in Jesus. And when you do that, you will get better at persevering. The Bible reveals that we are all poor and needy in ourselves. Jesus said the body is weak, but the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is willing. Maybe you're feeling weak and out of shape as a believer today. Maybe you look at older saints and think, man, I'm pretty pathetic. Your endurance is not very good. You're perhaps like me on a treadmill. You, you need to go from couch potato to 5K, spiritually speaking. And the best way to get better endurance is to go to God's word and to focus on his promises, being strengthened by his spirit. You can't expect to be strengthened in your arms and knees spiritually by continuing on in spiritual dullness where your Bible is left behind and prayer time neglected. It just ain't going to happen. It just ain't going to happen. It's like the guy who, thinks that, who shows up to football camp late, out of shape, and just thinks he's going to jump back into heavy contact with those who are in shape. It does not work out. You can't expect to be encouraged by living like some kind of Christian lone ranger where you're not in meaningful fellowship with brothers and sisters. You can't expect to be encouraged by building your schedule around maximum entertainment of the week. You're more stressed over being entertained than you are being nourished by the word. No wonder you're discouraged. You can't be encouraged by pursuing uh, not pursuing your brothers and sisters of the church. You've got to pursue them. You can't be encouraged rolling and strengthened rolling into church sleep-deprived after binge-watching your favorite series till you can't hardly sit up anymore. You can't be encouraged by prioritizing your week around your children and skipping church to do other things. You've got to prioritize God. He gave you the children to begin with. Start with Him. No, friends, you have to make every effort by grace to focus on the eternal so that you might live more faithfully in the temporal. Do you have eternal perspective? Those are the glasses we need to put on. See, eternity's not that far out. We're not that far removed from it. Come to God's encouraging word of promise. Come to Christ. Dwell on him. Sing about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Share Jesus with the lost. Share with them the hope of heaven. The only strength that will help you and I is found in our fellowship with Jesus. And if you want to talk more about that today, I literally have nothing better to do than to talk to you about Jesus and, and following him and being encouraged in him. What else do you have better to do? But this is why we're here. This is why we do all this, because of King Jesus, because we're looking forward to our blessed hope.
In times of difficulty, a fresh perspective on the problems we, we face and a renewed resolve to endure faithfully will lead to spiritual healing rather than weakness. These fearful ones are told to be strong because God's coming with vengeance against their enemies and he will save though his people. God's people who are under injustice long for this. Those in the room who are truly sick of sin's destructive disease upon humanity, you're tired of seeing sin destroy families uh, and your, uh, people in your lives. You long for the day when spiritual powers will be judged and no longer permitted to wage war. Yeah, I, I certainly can relate to that. Hearing some of those teenagers' testimonies this week about the homes they came from, I certainly had a longing for that. God's promises teach the reader not to fear our circumstances, but to revere God enough to take him at his word. Verse 4 says he will come to save you. He will save them from his wrath. In that context. Salvation is not from our boredom. It's not salvation from boredom or lack of purpose. Salvation is being saved by God from God. You understand that, right? To be saved is to be saved by God from God. Through Christ the Son. Think of how you feel about injustices today. Multiply that by infinity. Our holy God will not and cannot tolerate sin and rebellion. He is perfectly just and beyond our sinful ideas of good. He is patient with sinners. All of us, however, a day is coming when the patience will be no more. And it will only be judgment for God's enemies. Think of how patient God is with you and I. How patient he was with you and I leading us to salvation. Some of you know good and well. You know it. You were, you were dangling over hell. And he plucked you out. He rescued you when you were driving head for headlong with the gas to the gas pedal to the bottom of the floor, headed towards destruction. And he intervened and saved you. What patience. But friends, think of the injustice. If you're here this morning and you're rejecting Christ, you think of the injustice of rejecting our Creator. And denying our creator and putting ourselves forward as our own God. You think of what we deserve from God in light of how we have treated him and disregarded him and lived as if we are king and he is not. God gives salvation to those who are turning from their sins and trusting in Christ alone. Jesus, according to the New Testament, took on our curse and judgment so we could be saved. Friends, this is why literally we can be told, do not fear. It's hard to hear that from a human sometimes. Oh, you well, don't worry. It's hard to hear that from a human sometimes. It's another thing to hear it from the Lord. Because our Lord has brought us salvation in Christ. It's because of Jesus. God turned his, his retribution and his vengeance Upon Jesus instead of us. Praise God. He wants to inform you and I about this. He wants us to anticipate it with re rejoicing. He wants us to start living in light of this reality. He calls us to turn from our sins. Take, our, take his side against our sin. And trust in the merits of Jesus. Notice how verses 5 and 7. The promise gives so much hope because of what is further offered here. Namely. 
Look at the text. Sight, hearing, leaping, singing. Why? Verse 7, because of a new creation. God promises here both spiritual and physical well-being to come. And did God ever give a sign that this liberation had been inaugurated? That the hope of this passage has begun, has been inaugurated? He certainly did in Matthew 11. Jesus answered John the Baptist's question, Go and report to John what you hear and see. Listen to Jesus' words and look at Isaiah right there. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. You tell John, Isaiah 35 is right here. You tell him that the kingdom has broken in. And you tell him I'm coming. The miracles of Christ's first coming were merely signs pointing to the glorious consummation. God intends to give every believer a complete makeover in the new resurrection. Amen. That's how Isaiah 35 is fulfilled when Jesus comes again. Friends, don't we need to remember that today? For our own strengthening and encouragement, when we're surrounded by death, when we're surrounded by family that drives us bonkers, surrounded by coworkers we think may just put us in the grave early, surrounded by uh, political news 24-7 that makes us wish we could just go live in a hole somewhere? Don't we need this, this encouragement? Aren't we alive? Don't we need Jesus? What do we do in the meantime? That takes us to the last point, number three. God promises total, he promises total redemption. Let us trust in and live out his word. Last and shortest point, verses 8 through 10. Number three, choose the right pathway. Choose the right pathway. I like it when, when someone prepares me for what's ahead. I got to admit, I had some idea what this camp I was participating in was going to have. I could have had more. There were things I would have done differently. I definitely would have read the manual more carefully and asked questions. I would have been that guy. God prepares those, friends, who have ears to hear right here. He prepares us. Don't leave here today and say, well, I didn't know. No one prepared me. Yeah, we did. We tried. We're right here in Isaiah 35. It's on you now, okay? The pilgrimage of Isaiah 35 is far more significant than any of the people ever tried. And they knew pilgrimages back then for different feasts, for different celebrations. And this pilgrimage, though, if you pay attention, it doesn't end merely in physical Jerusalem. It ends in New Jerusalem. The lesson here is this. God's forgiveness and grace is meant to be life-giving, bringing about the way of holiness and peace, rather than immorality and chaos. Look at verse 8. The holy way. It's teaching the need for purification from sin. The need to walk in holiness. The highway of holiness is characterized by people, look at that, who walk in the light as he himself is in the light, loving righteousness, hating wickedness. One of the ways you can tell someone's become a Christian is they hate their sin. They can't quite do it like they used to. It's just they don't have the stomach for it anymore. They still sin, but when they do, it's like that was gross. I shouldn't have done that. Does that sound foreign to anybody here this morning? 
You hate your, do you know what I mean when I talk about hating your sin? If that sounds foreign to you, you may not be a Christian. Born again people are like, yeah, I know that change. I knew when Jesus changed me, I couldn't go back and do that anymore. I knew I, that time when I, when I said that to my wife, I had to walk that back because that was wicked. When I had that attitude towards my husband, I realized I was sinning against the Lord. I didn't want to walk in that. Or I couldn't be in that immoral relationship anymore. That's how a Christian understands because God has indwelt them by the Holy Spirit. You see, he puts us on a new way, the Jesus way, the way of holiness. How do you hate your sin today in ways you didn't five years ago? Can you still talk like you used to? Can you still watch stuff online like you used to? Can you still feel comfortable in envy and malice like you used to? I didn't ask you if you're perfect. I'm asking you, uh, can you do it like you used to? Friends, if you can, you may not be on the path that you think you are. Who sets us on this way? Who puts us on the way of holiness? God does in Christ. Jesus said, I am the way. The way back to God. I am God. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our position of holiness is first set in place by the justification that is ours in Christ Jesus. We're baptized into Christ, connected to Christ, united to Christ by the Holy Spirit. When we're born again, we have to be made holy to be on this way of holiness. We don't place ourselves on it. We're placed on it by His grace. Look at these verses. The unclean cannot travel on it. Think about Abraham. When God was talking about this particular, uh, not Abraham, uh, yes, when, uh, uh, was it Abraham or Moses who put his hand and leprosy came out? Someone help me. Moses, thank you. I'm tired. Hang in there with me. That hand would go in. It came out unclean. He said, put it back in. Came back clean. That's how we are spiritually. Sin is a, a defiling disease that we have on our souls. The unclean will not travel on it. You have to be made cleansed. Whole by Jesus Christ. Are, is your soul cleansed? Are you healthy? Have you been made whole by Jesus? The exclusive way here refers to the atoning work of Jesus Christ, for only atoning work can cleanse and heal a guilty soul from sins. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We cannot cleanse ourselves up for God. No, he must cleanse us in Christ and set our, peace, our, our feet on that path. He cleanses us by, it's by grace through trust in Christ. And that's not of yourselves, not of works, lest any person should boast. God saves us unto good works, onto this path. And notice verse 9, the highway of holiness is also a protected and secure way. Look at verse 9. It's secure. There's no danger there. Once on this path, the sovereign grace of God, you are secure. The unclean person, the fool, and the, the, the lion and the wild beast will not walk on this road, for it will be reserved for God's redeemed people. You know, to these people, the prospect of a straight and level highway would be a wonderful thing. Now, we can't really relate as well because we don't walk as much as they used to. We drive a lot. We just want a clean commute. We want less red lights. They're like, man, I'd kill for a flat pathway, <laughs> Right? God promises to those who will turn to him in trust, he will make a way through the most difficult circumstances. You see, there's one called the trailblazer. There's one that we know as the champion in the book of Hebrews, and his name is Jesus. 
He just promised a trouble-free life, but the grace to stay on the highway. And God's way is a way of purity, obedience, and safety. It is the way of holiness of in which the redeemed walk. Are you on this path? Have you been set on this pathway? Because if you have, by God's grace, you'll never be taken off of it. No one can remove you from it. What pathway are you on today? Are you on the world's pathway that leads to hell? Are you on the sad religious way where you don't know Jesus and your life is being lived in unrepentant sin? Friend, the Bible says there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is death. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except by me. Christian, are, are you excited about this way? Aren't you glad to be on that way, on that path? Because Not because you're like, I'm so smart and I'm so godly and I'm so great. No, I was on this road and he put me on this way. Aren't you thankful he put you on, on a new path? Aren't you relieved and grateful to God for his mercy? Do your loved ones see you're on a different pathway? Even if they think you're weird, yeah, yeah they're on a different road. Amen. Thank God. Are you telling others about this way? Perhaps you've fallen off the way of Christ. Come back to him. Look at verse 10. The final destination of those traveling the holy way of Zion. The city of God where God and man will dwell together. The redeemed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing. God said he's going to bring his people from every corner of the earth. His, his Israel of the heart. Spiritual Israel. True people. Children of Abraham. Those who are born again. Those who are Christ's redeemed people, they'll be brought all in together on the one way, the way of Christ, singing and rejoicing, crowned with unending joy. He didn't just say crowned with joy. He says unending joy. I just can't even imagine that. That's all because all we've known is up and downs, disappointments. He says joy and gladness will overtake them. I'm going to tell you right now, I've had joy and gladness, but I've never been overtaken by it because something else goes wrong. Oh, that was great, but this over here was, didn't, didn't work so well. Or my birthday went this way. Just think, of, think of some situation. I always tell people who are getting married, expect something to go wrong on your wedding day. It always does. Why? Because the world's fallen. Expect something to go wrong. But here, joy and gladness will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee. Friends, this only fulfilled when Jesus comes again. Beloved, I've preached long enough. So, after seeing this, are you still cynical? Will you repent of being cynical? You and me both. Get back our focus on the highway, the highway of holiness. And remember what Jesus has done and what Jesus will do for us, keeping our eyes on him. Let's pray. Amen. Lord, we're so thankful as your people that you and took us off the pathway of destruction and placed us on the way of hope and healing through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Lord Jesus, you, you have truly paved the way for us by doing everything, Lord, that we should have done and never sinning and paying for our sin debt. Lord, cause us in the midst of discouragement to, to stay immersed in your word, fixed on your promises so that we might persevere with joy even now. In your name we pray, amen.